This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Auto Man, episodes 12 and 13. Listen, worm, the only reason you're alive right now is because me and my friend don't feel like driving. All you're doing is taking up oxygen. There's not enough of that to go around. Now either you pull over to that phone booth and call the blank... Or else somebody's going to make a hundred bucks selling a picture of your bullet-riddled body to the tabloids. Go on. Call my bluff. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast closing Auto Man's program this week. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? For someone who can trace his family tree back to Pong, I think you'd have more of an appreciation for games. That's a real insult to a, to a computer-generated person. Take that, Auto Man. Yeah. By the way, we've noticed something um, through this show, this god-awful 13 episodes. You loved every second of it. <laughs> I did. Wally's not that nice to Auto Man, but it's like, he created him. He created his personality. He chose those six handsome gentlemen to create Auto Man. Why is he always, like, snarky with him? It's like you can adjust the program at any time if you don't like him. I do feel like somewhere around episode three or four, while I realized, uh, I don't like this guy. <laughs> but they also don't really play with it more than, like, once an episode, Wally will make some sort of insult to Auto Man, and Auto Man just brushes it off because he's like, why would I care if Wally's making fun of me? Look at him. I mean, it's because there's no internal consistency. <laughs> right. What is that? <laughs> anyway, we have done it, Jordan. We have reached the end of Auto Man. Mm-hmm. I, I watched all episodes per your request. Well, and let me say something. I should apologize ahead of time because I know you just wanted to jump to episode 13 and I sort of broke the rules by wanting to be a completist to say we watched all of the episodes and I hated episode 12. The extra episode that we did. truly bad. I If it's not the worst episode, it's pretty close. It's on the podium anyway. <laughs> well, we got to watch it, but... Uh... I looked a bit into it because I was like, what are we going to do for the last episode? And I was like, I guess I should look into the end of Auto Man. Like, mm-hmm. what was the end of Auto Man like? And it's interesting. I didn't realize this until I looked this up. But apparently in the U.S., they actually only aired 12 episodes. So for, like, its original run, it actually ended at the uh, second last episode. Hmm. So people never got the closure of episode 13. <laughs> when they tied everything up together in a nice, uh, neat bow. But I, I guess that years later, when it went into like syndication, it, it, it they finally put the thirteenth out. I think it actually aired in its original run in the UK all the way through. The UK just couldn't get enough to like show us all of it. <laughs> but it was uh, it was being broadcast against. You want to you want to know the shows it was being brought why it lost what it was up against? Yeah, I think um, Seth. I think he mentioned there was a show he used to watch at the same time, and he wasn't sure how he would watch them both. Right, same time slot. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of them was uh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King. I think that might have been the one he said. That was the one he said. And I can, I know, I now know why he was able to watch both of them. It's because that was in the fall of that, that uh, broadcast year. Mm. It was switched up to go against that show. Before that, it was going up against Megan P.I. Mm. Isn't it funny how certain things you can remember, like time slots? The only one I can remember from my childhood was, I remember tuning in to watch Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, whatever the show was called. And in its place was Star Trek The Next Generation, which had just started airing. And I was really irritated because I like Captain Power. 
But then I started watching Star Trek and I was like, this might be for me. <laughs> that was the end of Captain Power. Mm-hmm. It got canceled because you stopped watching. Yeah, that's right. They, they had one viewer off. Well, it's funny because uh, it was so it started off against Magnum PI and then ended up going up against this uh, 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 Scarecrow, Mrs. King. Never heard of it. No idea what it's about. Um, but you remember Steve, uh, one of our guests, mentioned Magnum PI mm-hmm. as another Glenn A. Larson show. Mm-hmm. So Automan was up against another Glenn A. Larson show when it started. Again, we, we've said it before, but he was a real powerhouse. You know, like he had so many shows on the air and not only just now, but for you know 20 years he always had at least one or two shows on the air so it sort of seems like it's just the odds that eventually he'd have one show cancel another show because he just had he was so prolific well and they're on different networks too so he doesn't even have like a deal with networks he's just got every network's just aaron and glenn a larson and they're all just cannibalizing each other <laughs> right um i have to say this last episode we're going to talk about episode 13 it had a real magnum pi feel to it <laughs> Do you want? Uh, there's one last show, one last highly rated show it went up against that was put the nail in the coffin. And I think I think this is the show you would have been watching. What was that? TV's bloopers and practical jokes. <laughs> I would have been watching that. Yeah, I was looking at the schedule for that entire year, just like kind of like scrolling through it. There were at least two. Uh, there was like another show called like hilarious pranks on TV. Like they were just like this was always on prime time was bloopers and practical jokes. I think that sort of thing, like you know, America's Funniest Home Videos. I think that thing is just an evergreen gold mine where people just send in stupid videos and we all enjoy watching people fall over, you know? I mean, it's true. Uh, do you want to hear? I, this is just part of the research I did. Do you want to hear what it was, uh, what Automan was tied with in the ratings that year? Oh, uh, you know what? I'm going to assume it's shows we've never heard of before because it didn't do terribly well. Can I guess? Yeah, sure. Falcon's Crest. <laughs> um, did you just make that name up? <laughs> no, no, that's a show. It was it was uh it was tied in the ratings with a show called The Mississippi. I don't know it. It's a legal drama that ran for two seasons, so it did a little better mm-hmm. than Auto Man. Mm-hmm. And a show called Mama's Family. Oh, I know Mama's Family. I've never heard of this show. Ran for six seasons. Mama's Family was a spin-off of sorts of the Carol Burnett show. Uh the yes. one actress, I can't remember her name, uh Sher- Sherry I want to say Sherry Lawrence. I can't remember her name. Anyways, she had a character, Mama who was like a sketch and it, you know, did well and it became its own show. Uh, weirdly similar to how The Simpsons started off the Tracy Ullman show. Why do you know all about Mama's Family? I've never even heard of it before. Yeah, I watched it. <laughs> Very funny. Um, and and basically, you know, as we kind of have found out by now, Auto Man did not leave much of a legacy besides like a, a vague memory in a certain age group of children. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a demo of people... And I think two of them we've had as guests that at very least through some sort of weird cultural osmosis or through just being on on the TV, it has has entered people's subconscious, but not in any uh, tangible way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I the only real two pieces of legacy we should can talk about is there was the DVD release that happened. I believe the UK did it first in 2012. So I guess it was more popular there. And then in 2015, Shout Factory did it in the US where they like put them all on dvd and they released a bunch of like documentaries where they mm-hmm. had all the like cast back and glenn a. larson to talk about it. and we we watched a little bit of that documentary and it was very funny they like the main cast auto man wally and roxanne are all there to talk about what a great time they had yeah they're very complimentary you, you mentioned you and i watched about i think 10 minutes of it and then i i couldn't take anymore and i left i think it was closer to 30 <laughs> maybe it was, it was 30 minutes well there you go but the um what's his face uh, uh donnie lonigan who plays uh, uh chuck auto man? wagner yeah chuck wagner he is not only complimentary, 
he either did his research to remind himself or has the greatest memory of all time. But he'd be like, in that scene, I was wearing a pair of gray shoes. I remember the heel was two inches. And it was interesting. You're like, how do you remember the details of these things? But that's, yeah, that's was, old Chuck. He was very detail-oriented. Like, he really knew how the effects came together. Mm-hmm. Like, he was a guy who was clearly very curious as to, like, the entire production of the show. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, and I don't mean this to be insulting, but it probably was the highlight of his career. Uh, well, as we do know, he did not act a lot after it. So, it, you know, being the lead of a show probably does stand out in your uh, in your mm-hmm. life, I'm sure. Yeah, and also getting to star across Desi Arnaz Jr. <laughs> that would be the highlight of your life, for yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. And uh, the only other little piece of ephemera that we I was able to come across, and we both watched this as well, but uh, at some point in, the, like, probably in the last... I should have written another date, probably in the last five-ish years, mm-hmm. a uh, YouTube channel called Red Giant did a, a short film homage to uh, Auto Man called Hulogram, right. mm-hmm. featuring Chuck Wagner comes back to play Auto Man for a quick second in a post credit sequence. Yeah, it was weird that they were able to reach out to him, get him to agree to do it, schedule him in, and then they threw it as like a throwaway gag in the last 10 seconds of this short. But maybe that's just all they could get him for. I think it was very sort of sweet and kind that he came and did this kind of uh, poking fun at himself. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this entire weird short film, it's like less than five minutes long. So there's not a lot of content there. But it's just like, it's like a weird, cute homage to Auto Man. It's, it's weird to see anyone was like, in, in the 2010s was like, you know what I'd like to do? Think about Auto Man and put it on screen again. Also, apparently in the, you know, uh, with today's available technology for anyone with a, a laptop, they're able to recreate special effects uh, if not exactly like Auto Man, much better than Auto Man. Yeah, yeah. Auto Man would be much cheaper to produce today. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that that's about all I've got on the end of Auto Man. It kind of came and went, faded into the sands of time, other than a few shadow memories of uh, our guests. Yeah, neither uh, neither Chuck nor uh, Desi wrote uh, like a tell-all tale, you know, uh, a book about what was happening behind the scenes or anything. It just sort of faded away. Yeah, it's all in that documentary we watched where they're just like, oh, we had a good time. <laughs> yeah, that, that is funny. The, the Pretty much all you get from it. They're all like, yeah, it was a good time. We had it, we enjoyed it. Oh, well, didn't make it. I think the only other thing we get out of it is that Glenn A. Larson looks like some sort of James Bond villain. Yeah, or, or a vampire of something. Or he, a vampire of some sort. Very he, peculiar he looking looks gentleman. Very strange. <laughs> and my memory was he was in a haunted like castle, but I think I've just now created that in the memory. A, a, a creaky old mansion he lives in he's wearing that uh, like zip up turtleneck <laughs> yeah and he had uh, colored sunglasses yeah blue shirt blue colored tinted sunglasses he's got a very specific look mm-hmm. and that mustache and the mustache well here's the IMDb summary for episode 12 death by design when a friend of Jack's another cop is killed while working with him they think that the killer is a professional hitman but because of insufficient evidence they can't hold him and that was a uh, very truncated summary, courtesy of RCSO411. Well, uh, thank you, person with numbers in your name. Uh, I'm going to say something off the, off the beginning. Death by design. What does that have to do with the episode? It's because it's about fashion and you design. it's designing fashion. B- but they have two sort of weird plot lines, or not plot lines. I don't know what you'd call it. A threads or a theme. Like one is you're mentioning that this is a clothing company and we're going to learn about it's really Silvana. Silvana. It could be anything. It doesn't need to be a clothing company. It's not important at all. And also, you're going to get um, what's his face? Uh, old uh, Auto Man's going to be doing a version of Dirty Harry in this episode, but he's going to call it uh, um, 
Well, his character, his character is Mad Dog, but he's been watching the the knockoff Dirty Harry series, Nasty Eddie. Nasty Eddie. That's right. But again, there's something that really annoyed me about it, which we'll get into, which is the level of detail into doing a sort of parody on those Clint Eastwood uh, Dirty Harry movies is so superficial that it doesn't even work. Because it's just like, hey, you know Dirty Harry, right? Yeah, he's a guy with a gun. That's all we need to know. It's like, well, then the joke doesn't work. Anyways, it just annoyed me. As a fan of the Dirty <laughs> Harry movies, this annoyed me. I don't know if there was ever a joke here that was going to work, but... Well, fair enough. But yes, it, we uh, we start off, like, as mentioned in the synopsis, Lieutenant Curtis is on some sort of stakeout with a partner. I guess he went to... Uh, police Academy police with. Police Academy? Just like, just like Wally? So explain this to me. It's an old friend, but for some reason they're on a stakeout together. But there's no indication that they work together or at the same department or anything why is this guy with him and what is the point of the scene it's just two dudes eating two old guys eating in a car yeah i mean we do get a great shot of them bringing food to the car but they're i guess staking out some sort of mob hitman who they follow and he, he leaves his apartment so they follow him to an office building and the the cop the 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 like friend cop of course goes nate in without backup nate nate hester goes in without backup as per usual on this show the hitman's there to uh, kill the co-owner of the Silvano Fashion Company, mm-hmm. which he, he does. And then on his way out, he kills this cop. Yeah. And, so, and then it becomes this weird, like, sort of vendetta thing for Jack, but not really because you can't have Someone him be the main character. I'll tell you my favorite part, though. Is, he, is this hitman kills that cop in that stairs. Like, he shoots him in the chest, and the cop just goes down the stairs. And it looks like he's dead. But then you cut back to the car where Jack's sitting and waiting. I don't know why he didn't come in to back up his friend, but he's still sitting in the car. And then, like, the radio crackles and said, Jack, he hit me. And then he goes inside, and the guy's dead. I'm just like, I think his ghost used the radio. I think, <laughs> well, I think it, he was it, dead. I know. it didn't. It, you also don't see him having any radio or anything. I know. I thought the same thing. I was like, do they have, like, earpieces? But it didn't really matter. The point is, he's dead, and now Jack has a vendetta that he won't do anything about. Yeah, and... Um, this is Jack's big thing, right? He's he he's like, how do I get this guy who killed my friend? But he has to be careful around the office because there's a new crime reporter hanging around. Yeah, so this is a crime reporter named Tom Scholes. He's from The Chronicler. And we sort of, I think, are supposed to, as a viewer, not like him because he wants to find dirt on the police department he wants to hold the police accountable and that's not something the police want on this show yeah which is which is uh, either just the uh the writers in this show it's just the belief they have because we've seen this sort of thought before about the police not being accountable for anything or it's just that's what the time was you know in 1984 but it is funny because it for some reason always seems to be roxanne who gets the dialogue for this sort of thing she's just like talking down to this guy because he he doesn't understand what police do you know yeah 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 it's very funny i mean we have seen it before this episode is particularly funny because they've got like this dirty hairy knockoff that auto man is impersonating and like everyone's just like he's not a good cop auto he abuses his power and then they turn around and like everyone in the show is abusing their cop power but that's fine <laughs> yeah i know it's like it, almost a scene after at one point where they're like Auto man's going too far. He's being crazy. Jack like punches a guy in handcuffs. I'm like, that's over the line, guys. <laughs> that's a problem. But yeah, the only clue they have into finding this hitman named LeBlanc is that he left a receipt at the scene of the crime <laughs> with no business number on it, but it does have an optical scan code, which means it's time to bring back Auto Man's favorite favorite persona, FBI agent Auto J Man. Yeah, every episode he's got to be Auto J Man. I love though the criminal that left us a, a receipt. 
It is very funny. It doesn't make any sense why I would be there. He was just going through them, making sure he was able to uh, get them into accounting uh, before the end of the week. But he uh, and he accidentally dropped one. He like He's like, oh, I killed this guy ahead of schedule. So I got like 15 minutes to do some more work. So I'll do some accounting. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, Lieutenant Curtis uh, starts his investigation by going to interview the partner of the murdered fashion business owner, a woman named Tracy Morgan. And he interviews her during a very gratuitous bikini photo shoot. Yeah. This and the next episode just have like shots of like women's bums and breasts just because. Because. Nonstop bikinis. It's 1984. Yeah. I. It is. These two are very much a companion episodes of just like, uh, we're losing them. TNA, everybody. <laughs> They're just watching the the ratings in real time. Like, oh, no, we're losing, losing them. <laughs> and uh, this woman explains that um, go- what's been going on at the fashion company is that the mob has been trying to force them to, like, give them half their business. And this is because, I guess, the partner who was murdered at some point when they started the business borrowed a bunch of money from the mob. But they, but she swears they paid them back in full plus interest, so they, they don't owe them anything. And I got to say, there are no banks in this world because everyone just borrows money from the mob in this world yeah it's it's the weird shorthand to get to any crime it's the mob i think of these 13 episodes i think at least 10 of them were mob related i got a question though so this lady um tracy tracy she says that her husband joseph was also killed by the mob but we never met him right oh did she say that what i heard her talk about is I heard her talking when she's talking to Lieutenant Curtis. He offers to give her protection because obviously the mob's after her business, like police protection. And she tells him she de- she's not worried because she grew up in the fashion business and knows how to handle the mob. And I was just like, I don't think those two things collide that often. This episode is, I've said this before, but I'm doubling down. I think the messiest episode they've done. Nothing makes sense in this. And there's so many leaps of logic. So this lady... But she's trying to borrow money from Simon Rafferty, right? Who's blackmailing no, 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 no. her? No one's trying to borrow money anymore. Like Ugh, her I don't partner, even know. Her partner borrowed money years ago to get the company started. They paid Rafferty back. Yeah, but he's boss. now blackmailing them. But now he's just like, I want half your company. And that's because the mob boss above him has said, hey, I want to get the mob into the fashion business. Can you get one of our guys into a fashion company? And he's like... Yeah, okay, I hired this mobster to kill a bunch of people to help get your, get us into the fat. This is it. It's but just that's like to the my mob point. Like, why, even, why even have this extra care? They have two essentially levels of bad guys for no reason. And I'm going to say, there, in only one scene do we see uh, Rafferty go to the mob boss, who's this guy named Ambrose, who's literally only in one scene. And it's played, it was very odd because he's played by an actor named Michael Gazzo, who I think is mostly known from The Godfather Part 2. But it was such an odd thing to introduce that character for no reason. Because Rafferty could just be the mafia guy. It's just like, they borrowed money from the wrong guy, and now there's consequences to it. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know there's a pyramid scheme that we need to detail. It's what's funny about Automan is they're very, they love to show like how many layers of criminality there are. But then they also love Auto Man just to take down the like smallest potatoes in that chain and then like let the top go away. That's true. I never really thought about it. I don't think the the top mob boss ever ends up getting it. No, no, no. If there's someone on top, they always get away with it. <laughs> you would almost think, and I think we saw this in that Invisible show, Invisible Man, uh, uh, Time, whatever that show was. Gemini Man. Gemini Man. That was one of the shows where they had a recurring villain, right? Or what was oh, the one? I can't what was remember. the one? <laughs> There was one of the shows that I had a recurring... Westworld? Beyond Westworld? Maybe I'm thinking Beyond Westworld. This almost feels like something they wanted, where it's like, 
uh, there's a, a villain, a mob boss or whatever, and every week he has a new way, to, a new scheme or a new way to get Auto Man or whatever, and they always solve the case or defeat him, but they defeat the, you know, next guy down sort of thing, but that guy's always there. It almost feels like, I'm not saying it would be better, but it almost feels like what they wanted to do, but instead they just rotate a different mafia boss every week. I think what you're saying makes sense in that, like, because, like, nine out of 13 episodes, the criminal was the mob, like, the bad guy was the mob, Mm -hmm. that it would... Like, why wouldn't you just make this a show about taking down the mob and there's a head mob boss exactly. always trying to get dirt on? But I think the problem is when they wrote the Bible or whatever for the show, the, the cocktail napkin for the show they wrote, <laughs> they just wrote new bad guy every week. And every week, all they can think of is the mob. Well, it's also the show is terrified of serialization. And I'm not saying this has to be a deep uh, serialized show where we learn more and more as the show goes. But there's there's almost you don't have to watch any of these episodes in order. They don't matter. Well, we cut to the next scene and your whole thing about serialization goes right out the window, Jordan. Is that this is right? a very serialized show because, well, Otto Man's watching Nasty Eddie. Well, no, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter. I know what you're going to say. So the next scene we get is that finally, after 12 episodes, Roxanne and Wally are kind of getting together. But to my point, it's been so inconsistent of who <laughs> likes who that you could still rotate the episodes. In some episodes, he's pining for her. Some episodes, she's pining for him. Other episodes, they barely know each other. Other episodes, they're just co-workers. This one, uh, they're on a couch, and he's like, oh, I think our friendship is going to get in the way. And she's like, nope. And they start kissing, and it's hilarious because Auto Man interrupts them. That's the scene. Yeah, Auto Man interrupts. It's very, I laughed really hard because I was just like, whoa, they really just have decided Roxanne's into it now. Because I think that's like an episode before this, she was like implying she was into it. And now she's sitting in his lap on his couch. And while I was like, uh, aren't we just friends? And I'm like, dude, no, you're not just friends anymore, clearly. And Roxanne really has to take the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, yes, you're right. Auto Man interrupts, at which point, uh, uh, this is my the part where he interrupts and kind of ruins the moment she's trying to have with uh, Wally. And she asks Otto, he's like, if you're such a good detective, why can't you take a hint and leave me alone so I can take Wally's virginity? <laughs> yeah, but they're really playing up that Auto Man is sort of like idiot savant where he uh, you know, can do all these calculations and, and things, but he, uh, he can't read any social situations. But I don't know. It just... I just don't think any of this works. They, these leads have a zero uh, chemistry. Well, I mean, the, us seeing them finally hook up, the, it won't come up again this episode or next. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, all this has been happening. The mob has still been harassing that fashion lady, Tracy, trying to get half her business. My By favorite the way, part the, is, the character's name is Tracy Morgan, and that made me laugh every time. That's right. Her name is Tracy Morgan, isn't it? I have that in my notes, and I'm like, why did I write Tracy Morgan? And I'm like, right, that was her name. Yeah. I what I liked is they go to like hassle her some more. They're like, "Give us half your business or else." And then he takes like uh, an inkwell and pours it on one of her fashion designs, and she starts weeping. And I'm like, "That wasn't that bad." Yeah, I I didn't know what it was at first because it's it's shot from a bit of a long shot, and I think then uh like a high angle shot, so you get this. What you're not sure if it's ink or paint or whatever. And I was like, "Is this an important contract?" No, it's a drawing. I'm like, "It's a big deal." redo the drawing it's not like he did anything (laughs) he didn't destroy all your work he literally one piece of paper it's the least threatening thing you could do it's true if the mob showed up at your office that's like best case scenario (laughs) yeah it's like the equivalent of like walking to someone's desk and then knocking a pen onto the floor i'm like ooh, i'm scared (laughs) but after probably 20 minutes of this episode a walling auto man finally get around to looking at that receipt barcode what a clue by the way and the receipt points to a uh, credit card that LeBlanc uses, but under an assumed name, so they can't find that. But thankfully for Wally, Automan knows Kelly, 
the name of the credit card computer. Yeah. <laughs> and she's promised to call the next time LeBlanc uses this credit card. And, of course, she calls immediately. This this computer calls out immediately and says, he's leaving the Peacock's Lair right now. Yeah. I, I don't know why the Peacock's Lair tickled me so much, but it really did. It was very funny. Anyway, they jump into the auto car, race over, end up in, like, a very typical auto man car chase that they do every episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have the same things. The You get to see the same footage of them chasing. He makes a right turn. The other person can't make a right turn. They crash. Wally squishes against the window. It's the same thing every episode. Did you notice the crash this time is actually the exact footage from the pilot episode crash? No. I mean, it's all so similar. I didn't notice. It's like the ex- like they literally, it's even the trivia for IMDb too. It's like, it is, I recognize the video. I'm like, oh, this is just literally the scene from the pilot. Yeah. They got 12 episodes in. Yeah, it's like every episode, they're always, they have like six minutes that they have to stick in for the same footage every episode. And Otto now is like going to go into this full uh, nasty Eddie mode. And he he pulls a gun on the on LeBlanc in the car and says, go ahead, do the world a favor. Yeah, which uh, I mean, I guess is pretty close to go ahead, make my day. And, you know, LeBlanc's arrested, trucked down to the station, but uh, unfortunately for everyone at the LAPD, the uh, district attorney informs them they have to let LeBlanc go uh, because no matter how pissy Lieutenant Curtis gets about it, he doesn't have any evidence, so they can't prosecute him. Which is funny because they have this lawyer character come in who in some ways almost seems like a character from a different show who has to deal with the lunacy of this this world. He's just like, (laughs) hey, guys, um, you arrested this guy, but there's zero evidence. You just did a car chase you had hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage to this building where they crashed you've injured this guy and we've arrested him and you're terrible police officers and jack's like i can't believe this you're stopping me i was like yeah you have a receipt i i believe this man you arrested was arrested by a agent otto j man who is not an fbi agent yeah. as far as i can tell yeah have they have they brought that up yet where all of these uh, court cases that they brought should all be thrown out of court because they've been apprehended by a vigilante <laughs> no, they have not brought that up yet, but that would be a good episode. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is the point where Le- uh, uh, Lieutenant Curtis is so mad, so mad that justice can't be served, that he walks into the squad room as they're releasing LeBlanc and just punches him right in the face in front of the crime reporter. And I'm just like, this crime reporter is right about everything. And then later on, they have a scene. It's like, can you believe this reporter wrote a bad story about how we treat people in the police department? I'm like, yes. Yes, I can. I know, that. right? Can you believe it? <laughs> anyway. They're they're down they're down they're feeling they're feeling low they can't get any goods on this LeBlanc and they kind of have a sense that he's working for the mob above them and they can't like the Rafferty guy and they can't get any goods on that Rafferty guy but Wally comes up with a plan a plan to get LeBlanc and the mobsters who hired him in a way that makes no sense at all this sort of has the same logic as an episode I think it's one of the first few episodes where Autobahn becomes another gangster so that he can kind of muscle in on the mob territory by actually doing horrible crimes like running prostitution rings. This is sort of along that same logic, which is he's going to pretend to be a loose cannon police officer so that the reporter will write about how much of a loose cannon he is and thus legitimize him as a loose cannon so that he can scare them into it's funny. Something you remember? You remember the last part of the plan when they changed the plan the second time? Oh, okay. What was the What was the initial plan? The initial plan is Wally tells the captain and Lieutenant Curtis 
he's going to plant a whole bunch of fake unsolved vigilante murders into the police computer. Oh, right, right. That's the beginning. You're correct. Yeah. So that uh, when the crime reporter sees them printing off on a dot matrix printer, like one unsolved crime after another, just printing off in front of his eyes, he's immediately going to be like, I I should write a story about a vigilante killer who goes after people, murderers who get away with murder. And then those stories will get published and the mob will see it. And then they, Jack, Wally, and the captain will plant stories amongst their informants in the criminal community to say that the vigilante seems to be after LeBlanc next. So that LeBlanc will be so afraid he'll turn himself in and rat out his boss. It's got to be one of the dumbest ideas this show has ever had. The only saving grace of this is there's an extended scene where, for some reason, it's not enough for them. Because as you mentioned, Wally needs to enter these essentially fake cases or fake crimes into Mm -hmm. the computer. But he has to, like, create them out of his imagination. So he'll be like, the guy got shot with, with a gun. No, wait. He was stabbed. No, wait, he was strangled. And while he's typing at the computer, we get sort of a montage, sort of... Um, uh, we get a dramatic recreation yeah, of these fake crimes. exactly. So, like, it'll be someone holding a gun, and then the gun will turn into a knife, whatever. And it's sort of, like, kind of supposed to be a fun little, you know, watching his imagination at work. But it's also just so dumb that they have to... He has to, like... As a computer expert, it means he also has to be creative. It's the same way he also, because he knew how to use computers, he also knew how to design video games in a previous episode. What what I like, too, is it's just like, even when the captain hears this plan, like, he's like, he gives it the go-ahead, but he's just like, I can never have heard this ever happen. Like, this is so illegal, I'm just going to pretend I never heard any of this, but go ahead. And also, is this the most direct way to find this guy? Like, it's it's, oh, it's- so many steps. And even, like, even if it made sense, which it doesn't really what is the chance that it's going to work? Like, it's not like this is a foolproof plan. Like, it all operates on them assuming he will react into a way that they have designed because he will have heard things that he may not even hear. When Wally volunteers that he has a plan, that you could you could never guess what he was going to say next. Like, this, <laughs> was, this was so out of left field. It's crazy. And to your point, what you were talking about, Mad Dog and Auto Man going undercover, this is where the plan goes sideways is... The reporter buys into it. He writes a whole story about a vigilante on the loose. And when he comes in to show his uh, the story he's written to the captain, he's just like, I wrote a story about a vigilante, and I'm quite confident Lieutenant Curtis is that vigilante. Oh, right. So the si- That's right. The plan goes sideways. To be fair, this reporter, Sh- Scholes, what's his name? I have no idea anymore. It's gone. Yeah, Tom Scholes. Tom Scholes, uh, he sort of connects things in a way that makes more sense which is this loose cannon police officer i see every day (laughs) yeah this loose cannon cop that i see whose partner was killed he's clearly the one that's gone over the edge because to be fair that makes more sense yeah and so basically this is what happens is ottoman becomes this like ex-cop mad dog character who's uh who's on the loose so that they can like make him so they can get the heat off of Kurt, Lieutenant Curtis and put it on to someone else. And I'll, I'll mention one weird little thing. Anytime Auto Man shows up as this mad dog character or cop character, the music they have is very reminiscent of the Seinfeld theme. And it was like, <laughs> and I was like, this is so odd. And it's, I mean, they didn't know that Seinfeld was going to happen in a few years, but it just is funny now watching it. <laughs> What I like is then they they head off to uh, I guess protect the Silvano fashion show that's happening that week, and we get a, like a a catwalk fashion show with uh, various swimwear. And as I was watching, I'm just like, this is very low end fashion. Yeah, well, it also seems very low end because the show doesn't have a huge budget, and it looks like 
like a high school presentation. Yeah, I'm just like this is this is like not this is not high fashion that the mobs try to get into. This is really ready to wear stuff they're trying to get into. Mm-hmm. But of course, the mob shows up there to backstage to threaten her once more with like handing over half her company for whatever reason. Except this time, Otto and Wally are there, and Otto gets to beat up a bunch of mob goons and like get a kiss from a bikini model for doing such a good job. This show real has a real wish fulfillment for dweebs. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the mobs—they're st- still not getting close to the mob, but like the story of this vigilante is like sort of floating through the air, and they're like getting worried. They're like, "Oh no, is is there going to be a vigilante after us?" And Rafferty's like, "Doesn't matter. He'll go after LeBlanc, not me." And Wally and Otto finally get a lead. They finally get their first lead on how to get to LeBlanc. When I'm not sure off camera somewhere, Wally's just like. I read somewhere that one of Rafferty's goons goes to this like newsstand where a, where a, like a bookmaker is, and he he places bets there. Let's go there and get him to call Rafferty for us. Yeah, it's or call LeBlanc again. Know. It's they they spend so much time on creating the layers of corruption into the mob and how the mob works that there's no time for any logic or connection of scenes so you just have to have characters show up places like like you're saying there's like oh yeah i hear this guy goes to a newsstand to place bets you're like okay and then they go over and it's just so we can have this extended sequence that we should talk about because it makes no sense you know what i liked about that news the the newsstand what's that seem to only sell muscle magazine <laughs> i didn't notice that that's what I noticed as I panned over. I'm like, there's a lot of muscle magazines in this newsstand. But Luke, let's talk about this scene. So they go to essentially to meet the guy and kind of like threaten them as this mad dog character to show him mm-hmm. that, that, you know, he's serious business and everything. All the rumors on the street are true. And what we get is the guy is not really buying it. He's not really being convinced. Yeah, the, the mob goon's not convinced. Yeah. And so Auto Man pulls out his very dirty Harry-esque sort of, I can't remember what, it was a magnum Like a magnum? Yeah. And it's like a very long barrel on the gun. And he pulls it out, and after some sort of weird argument, he shoots the guy at the newsstand. An innocent bystander, for all intents and purposes. And he shoots the guy, and the guy falls down dead. And and he's just like, he he ticked me off, so just shows you what a loose cannon I am. And then the mob guy's like, okay, you've, you've convinced me. I'll take you to Rafferty. And they get in a car and leave. And then what we see is the guy that got shot, the blood or whatever has happened. The bullet wound in his stomach. Yeah, the bullet wound, because he actually shot him, has dissolved. Which, okay, but that is well, not it how... it hasn't just dissolved. It turns into cursor. It turns into cursor. But, like, that's not how the powers have been shown to work at all in the last 12 episodes. What we see is... He actually creates working things. When he creates a car, it's a working car. When he creates a helicopter, it's a working helicopter. When he creates a brick for a car to drive into, it smashes into said brick wall. So why this bullet, by all intents purposes, should have went into the guy and killed him. The fact that this hologram then dissolves doesn't change the damage it has done inside this guy's body. No, no, Cursor can just make fake holographic bullet wounds. It's totally fine. (laughs) But, like, it also knocked the guy out, and, like, it knocked him to the ground and knocked him out. So he was dead. (laughs) Holographic technology. It's amazing. Like, it's just, I I know it's a nitpicky thing, but it's just like, guys, you've created the rules. You can't break the rules now 12 episodes in. There's just a new rule, Jordan. Anything goes. (laughs) Anything goes. So, I mean, like, here's the thing. If you wanted to do that scene, they want to show how scary this fake character auto man is playing he could have 
shot Wally and Wally could have pretended to die and that would have been just as convincing and would have kept up the logic that they've created in this universe which is it just was all a big uh, a big act where it's like but you've shot an actual person who clearly has been injured no it, it does make more sense and it's funny because like for the rest of this episode you know he automans playing a vigilante on the loose that he's scaring everybody but this vigilante also has just like this meek timid sidekick who follows him everywhere yeah I, and let me let me just just to continue to flog this uh, uh, this dead horse one more time about this news guy. Do you think now for the rest of this guy's life he thinks he's invincible? He's been shot. He was dead. He wakes up and he's like, I, I'm not dead. And do you think it like changed his life? <laughs> I hadn't thought about it, but now that you say it, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, or at least the next like four hours before he gets hit by a bus. <laughs> That's right. He walks. I was like, traffic can't stop me. Dead. Anyway, uh, Wally and Otto forced this goon to. Uh, call up leblanc invite him over to rafferty's house so that the i guess so that they can get all of them in the same place at the same time like uh, auto man and wally get there first and they're just like holding rafferty and his goons at gunpoint and then leblanc shows up but leblanc has just kidnapped the like tracy fashion lady so he's brought her with him Mm -hmm. so now everybody's at the same place at the same time and you know Auto Man puts LeBlanc in a chair and is threatening with a gun, like, I'll kill you for killing that guy, blah, blah, blah. And, the, and of course, the LeBlanc, the hitman, immediately is like, it wasn't my fault. That guy hired me and mm-hmm. points at Rafferty. And it's, you know, it's, it's, the plan goes perfectly. Everyone rats everybody out, uh, but it's Auto Man. So there needs to be one last thing that happens. So someone knocks a gun out of Wally's hand. Rafferty, the mob boss, somehow is able to kidnap Tracy, the fashion lady get in the car and we're just it's time for one more auto car chase that turns into an auto helicopter chase Mm -hmm. yeah it's like a car chase and then he gets and that becomes the helicopter they chase them and then they do something i don't think we've seen the copter do before we've seen them do stuff like you know as i said earlier create like a brick wall or create a tree or some sort of diversion to get the car off the road this time he says i think fireworks but it doesn't seem to be fireworks it seems like mass missile explosions that he starts starts shooting into the ground to throw this guy off the path yeah yeah the auto the autocopter gets an uh, like a laser cannon it's quite it's quite effective and so he never actually shoots the car but he shoots all around it and it does get the car off the road which is what they wanted um, well the car crashes i believe headlong into a tree and we see rafferty's head fly forward shattering the front windshield is that right yeah it's a very graphic shot of his face hitting the the front windshield and it shattering but he's okay it's very funny i wanted to bring this up because someone i forgot about this but a, a twitter a twitter user had uh, reached out to us or like had tweeted at me at some point because they were we were constantly talking about how wally gets thrown around in the car every time there's a 90 degree turn and then this episode it reminded me because that guy's head just goes into that windshield like graphically and gruesomely but but she mentioned to me that when this show's coming out this is the exact time the government is trying to institute seatbelt laws in the U.S. So there aren't seatbelt laws yet in the U.S. as the show's coming out. So everyone, no one in this show is wearing a seatbelt at any time. Oh, that's funny. That's an interesting note. Which is probably why we're constantly seeing the thrown against windows and stuff. Is just like, in this world, everyone's just free, just floating free inside of a car. That's funny. Which also scares me now because auto makes cars crash all the time. So there's like... Terrible, terrible tragedies have happened due yeah, to car he's, crashes. Yeah, they, they make car crashes happen constantly. And obviously, it's a very PG, you know, 6 p.m. sort of TV show. So no one ever really gets hurt. But there's times where, like, 
if this had any sort of realism at all, like they should accidentally kill someone because they're forcing, you know, massive car crashes when people are doing tremendous speeds. Well, there's always an innocent victim in every car they crash. <laughs> the person they're trying to save is almost always in the same car that they just crashed. Yeah, in the next episode, there's a car crash and the two ladies are in the trunk. And I was like, what if they just were thrown around and killed back there? <laughs> As they do that jump over the over the ramp. Exactly. Anyway, uh, Rafferty's fine. He's arrested because he's seen Otto Man in his true form and like the true holographic beauty of him. Rafferty's giving a full confession out of the sheer awe and fear of seeing Otto Man, as per usual. Mm-hmm. And we we cut to the button at the end of the episode, and you know they're kind of like filling you in to say like the mob's going to prison and all the goons and LeBlanc, everyone's going to prison. They don't even want to post bail because they're so afraid of that vigilante. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. Well, there's a couple things I want to mention from this is that it seems like in the end, uh, what you're supposed to take away as a viewer is these uh, nasty Eddie mad dog sort of way of doing things. It actually works. It works. It's, it's great. It's not like he learned you know, he was acting that way and he realized, oh, no, you know, a gentler glove or a more above the uh, uh, doing things by the book is the way you're supposed to do police work. It's like, no, no, it worked. So that's that's yeah, it's, it's like you should pretend to be a raving mad murderer, but just don't murder anybody. And it's OK. Yeah. But that's like such a bad idea. And historically in police work has been done and got people killed. Yeah. And and then uh, on a separate note. We're not going to see him in the next episode. The but crime reporter. The crime reporter. It feels, and not that it was good, but it feels like he could have been a recurring character from the beginning, which is someone who knows there's something funny happening in the police department, a la Ottoman, but he can't quite crack it. And he's always kind of there. And so that's why they always have to be secretive about Ottoman. I don't know if it would work that much, but it seems like there would be something there as a character. But because these shows are so stuffed already with, convoluted nonsense i just don't know if another character would would yeah would it help was just things, funny because but... that's in the button too is uh he the crime reporter comes up and like congratulates them sort of on finishing the murder the mystery but it but he looks at ottoman and says i'm pretty suspicious that you were that vigilante and i don't know who you are but i'm gonna start looking into your background so you better watch out agent auto j man and then you know walks off never to be seen again but i was just like I'm like, yeah, Auto Man should be worried. It's gonna be really easy for this uh, detective or this uh, newspaper man to figure out you're not really with the FBI. But he's not because he does not come back for the last episode, episode 13. Well, I think part of that might come from the fact that uh, after all this happens, Lieutenant Curtis is so happy. You know, they caught the killer. His friend's been avenged, and he's like, "Let me take you for beers, Wally and Otto. I, I gotta buy beers." And Otto turns to him because he's still in like nasty Eddie mode. He's just like, "I can't." Not until the st- the streets are safe. And uh, Auto Man stalks off looking like a complete psychopath. And it cuts back and, uh, and uh, Lieutenant Curtis is laughing. He's like, that guy's got a hilarious sense of humor. But the look on Wally's face is so like full of fear. And he's so like Wally looks horrified that Auto Man just said this and walked off. I think Auto Man went on a murder spree that I day. think so too. I think he killed that reporter. I think many people died that evening. Yeah, I think he went and he killed everyone in the mob. Wally is so terrified when he hears that line. and But, like, the, the show ends, I believe, on a shot of Wally's, like, gr- like fear-stricken face. Yeah. And that's the episode. We've, we've anyway, learned nothing. Let's get, let's get on with it, right? Yeah. Episode 13, Club 10. Here's the IMDb summary for episode 13, Club 10. No asterisks. I beg your pardon? Yeah, would you mind explaining that to me, too? Take a look at the ribbon here. 
The last characters typed in are a row of asterisks. She's a writer. She left a coded message on the ribbon. You're right, Walter. She must have typed something else and then put this sheet back in the typewriter. All we have to do is look at the imprint left on the ribbon. The letters will be out of sequence. They don't read across. They have to be read vertically in rows of three. You forget, Walter. I'm fluent in IBM. Walter, Ottoman, and Roxanne travel to an exclusive Caribbean resort called Club 10. Roxanne gets a panicked message from her missing writer friend. They find they are caught up in a diamond smuggling racket. I'm going to say a couple things. One, this diamond smuggling racket makes no sense, as per this show. And the second thing is, I think we're going to assume that Club 10 is an all-inclusive resort. Would you not assume that? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So then the whole point later when they're spending money on everyone makes no sense either. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the whole thing is, is mostly set at this resort, Club 10, I, which I believe is on the British, uh, Brit, uh, uh, it's called the Brighton Isle, is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what I didn't even catch. One British guy. I didn't. I know it didn't make any sense, but like, because I was like, why is this cop? There's inspector. Why is he English? But it's like, oh, it's it's uh, some sort of colonialism uh, uh, island under England's rule. Yes, and uh, what we what we see up the top is a French man named Philippe and an American travel writer named Laura Ferguson have gotten in trouble with this Club Ten sort of security and the staff there. Apparently, and this is something we're just told in exposition, uh, Philippe is apparently somehow an accomplice in the diamond smuggling operation that Club 10 is a front for. Mm-hmm. How and why, it's never clear to us. But for some reason, on this trip to the resort, Laura, the travel writer, stole his heart and he's changed his mind about diamond smuggling. And so he and Laura have hidden the diamonds from the staff of Club 10, and now they're very mad and want their diamonds back. Yeah, I thought this was weird because it seemed like it was pretty obvious what this should be, is that, sure, Laura and this guy who does the worst French accent I've ever heard, by the way, uh, for the two scenes he's in, um, because he has to be international, exotic. um, It really should have just been that they got caught up in this thing because, you know, out of greed or out of... Uh, accidental they came across it and didn't have the morals. Yeah, she's a writer and she discovered her story. Yeah, it's just whatever. But it's like they have this other convoluted reason that they don't explain. They're just like, yeah, they're caught up in it. That's why. It's like, what? She fell in love with an accomplice in this drug smuggling thing on her business trip to write about this resort and then what we'll see is like they're kidnapped for a while and like tied together but like before the end of the episode like they'll have a botched escape attempt and that french guy's just gonna get blown away and like laura's pretty indifferent to the death of this man she was apparently in love with for <laughs> yeah. two weeks yeah anyway how the smuggling works is my was my favorite part of this because like it's so weird they imply that there's only two people involved but basically every staff member appears to be in on this, this well, whole racket here's the thing can, can we talk about how this actually works because they're gonna quite literally explain it in the last yeah, yeah, yeah. two That's and a half minutes do. so yeah, yeah. but he, so it doesn't make any sense and luke you correct me if i'm wrong so here's what their drugs or diamond smuggling thing is apparently there's diamonds coming from somewhere doesn't explain where someone yeah someone brings diamonds to the resort maybe this french guy <laughs> yeah so well no how i understood it was there's diamonds that are not on this island and they need to get the diamonds here, smuggle them into the island so they can get money. That's what I thought. Other way around. So it doesn't make any sense to me. So they because so they put them into like tennis rackets and I don't know. Sporting other, equipment. Yeah, other other uh, items that they smuggle them out using people unknowingly as a, like drug mules, but diamond mules sort of thing, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Essentially, that's it. The, for whatever reason, the staff of the resort put diamonds in sporting equipment that they then give to their rich clients who, when the clients fly home, they on the other side, someone just steals the sporting equipment to get the diamonds. Okay, so it's it's so many steps to do this. I mean, the actual idea of un, unwittingly making people uh, smugglers is kind of interesting. It's the way they do it that makes no sense. And there's so many uncontrollable variables that it doesn't seem worth it. But I'm going to mention something that makes less sense to me. The two main characters we're going to leave, uh, Jerry and... Uh, Crandall. Roger Crandall. Roger Crandall. Those are the two bad guys we're going to learn. Why we only get her first name, I don't know. But as you said, they seem to be running this this scam. But the whole real episode is they're trying to get some diamonds back that went missing. But they apparently yes. have oodles and oodles of diamonds. And this organization and this uh, uh, scheme they've had seems to be working fine. Why do they care about these couple diamonds? It's just like, just kill these people and get them out of the way. And keep doing what you're doing. And eventually, like, even if you don't find the diamonds, they clearly have enough you're to go. You're just saying, take a loss on this particular shipment of diamonds and just get another one. Yeah, exactly. Because because they keep going. But at one point, Jerry's like, I want to find those diamonds, so we'll be millionaires. I'm like, you already are millionaires. You've been selling these diamonds for quite some time. This is maybe the first time they've tried this scheme. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, it's like, it's like, if it didn't work the first time, you lost the diamonds the first time, it's not a very good scheme. The impression I got is they've been running this for quite a while. That, yes, as they said, that's the implication. <laughs> well, because the, well, as we're going to meet, meet this English inspector later, he's there to investigate because they say the entire club is a front. So just think well, that... of think of the complications and the logistics of building and creating and running and hiring people. So you have this super, what we're going to learn, very, very exclusive, very high-end resort that only takes really attractive people, which somehow they're able to do. You can only be a 10. You can't be a 9. Yeah. And I like, we're going to have a scene later where someone's actually like, apparently the operator asks, are you a 10? I would just be like, yeah, are you going to stop me when I get in? But anyways, the amount of work you'd have to do to run this seemingly legitimate business as a front so that you could run these diamonds it's like no one would do this it's it is very silly because later in the episode right near the end this crandall will double cross his partner jerry who i guess we're supposed to think are the leads of the operation and when he double crosses he's like i'm gonna kill you now because the math on a one-way split is either than a two-way split i was just like well what about the golf pro and like the 15 goons you have like this isn't a two-person operation like this is there's 65 people involved in this conspiracy yeah the uh, all the people you have that planting stuff all the people that work at the resort everyone apparently is involved because you, you just hundreds and hundreds of people yeah it's just it's just it, the idea is such a mess yeah anyway because Laura helped hide these diamonds and knows they're in trouble with the staff, she knows they're going to get caught. She calls back to L.A. and leaves a voicemail on her own answering machine. That voicemail she leaves, though, is for her friend Roxanne. So she phones her own voicemail, but mm-hmm. leaves a, but on her own voicemail, leaves a message for her friend Roxanne from the LAPD. Because Roxanne which... is, ho- is, is house-sitting. Well, I don't know if that's true, because and on that message, she says, hey, Roxanne, I need your computer expert friend Wally to solve the series of clues I've left for him to solve my missing persons case. Yeah, it's a weird way to get them in, but she is house-sitting, because when her and Wally later on go up the elevator, that's what she says to Wally. She says, yeah, it's my friend, and I mean house-sitting for him. So at least that part makes sense, but... But she said she'd listened to the message already somehow. But they needed to now go to the house to listen to the message for a second time. It's because this show's a mess. They have to have her know something. So she's like, listen to the message. She's like, all right, I'm going to get Wally. Then they get Wally, then they come. Then they're going to listen to the message again. So they can have this other confrontation with this guy breaking into their apartment. 
Yeah, this Crandall guy has flown from wherever this island is back to L.A. to attempt to steal her answering machine message. But, of course, like, they, they catch him. There's a little fight. He runs away, and they get the, the machine well, the, ma- thing. the message. There's no indication they know she left a phone message. But they still want to tie up loose ends so much that he will leave the resort, go over to the place, uh, her home, just to double check in case she hasn't left a voice message on her own answering machine. It's like, how would you even know he, she did that? Well, and here's the thing. Roxanne's already heard the message, so even if he steals it, it's moot now. But the show needs her to somehow keep the answering machine tape so that she can bring it to work and play it for Captain Boyd so that she can, so that Captain Boyd can be like, ah, that sounds like another police department's problem. And Roxanne's like, well, I'm going anyway to investigate my missing friend. And, she, and Captain Boyd's like, well, you better bring a partner. Wally, you have some vacation time coming up. Why don't you use it to go on this mission? Then it's not vacation time, is it? Well, that's just that he, he and like Wally thanks him for the opportunity. I'm just like Wally, you just got played, man. <laughs> anyway, this is this is basically what gets Roxanne and Wally off to get to Club Ten, and like Auto Man calls up the uh, calls up the Club Ten computer to book reservations, and like he has to like make up fake financial documents so they can like be rich enough to go, and and Wally's so ugly he has to go as Auto Man's valet because he's not a ten, which again is like. I mean, it's discriminatory. There's no way you can do this, but it's supposed to just let you know that everyone there is good looking. But I love that anytime you see one of these criminals, they're like at best a three out of ten. Oh, I was just saying all the men in this resort are like very not good looking. <laughs> yeah. Well, when they say ten, they mean all the bikini babes. Yes, exactly. So Wally should have been welcome. I don't know why he was excluded <laughs> as a valet. Anyway. They check in and like the the staff, of course, immediately recognize them from the home invasion they just did. So they're like, "Uh oh, those guys are here. You know, it's a good idea. What if we stop looking for the diamonds and just let these people who we know are looking for their friend look for the diamonds for us? And then we'll just take the diamonds from them when they find the diamonds. Yeah, it was odd because they have to assume that that is what they were looking for. Where they're clearly there to find this missing woman, not find the missing diamonds. But yeah, they're they, hoping that they also want the diamonds for some reason. They're hoping that these people come to this island to find their friend and get so far down the conspiracy of this missing woman that they figure <laughs> out it involves diamonds and then go ahead and find those diamonds for them. Yeah, so you could have a lot of scenes of like Wally, Roxanne, and Auto Man go in and outdoors while the guy watches them. Yeah, yeah, and of course, uh, as soon as they arrive at the resort, uh, arrive at the resort, uh, Cursor sexually assaults someone in a sauna. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, Cursor." I'm just like, you guys, stop this. This is terrible. <laughs> anyway, they, they they check out Laura's room and they find her article and her diaries, but there are no clues in there. So Auto Man comes up with his own plan. He's like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do everything that Laura did in her diary for the last seven days, but in one day, which leads him to uh, go to the restaurant and eat 20, 21 meals at once. I know this was kind of done for a gag, and it's also because the show's desperate to have Wally and Auto Man uh, separate for two different kind of plot lines, but I don't know how that's going to solve the case. One, I'm going to mention, he's like, let me read this diary, which we've seen time and time again. He can read incredibly fast. So he should have just read the thing fast, dropped the diary and went on. But he like, we see him like, oh, page three, she had a, a coffee. So he has a coffee, which is okay, sure. But I don't understand. He's already read the book. If there was a clue there, it, no, it, his, it, it's not in the experience is the clue. Do you know what I mean? He's plan, like, mm, that's a bold coffee. That leads me to think she went left. His plan is that like he can't find a clue. So maybe if he just does everything she did in the last seven days, it, like he'll see the clue he needs to find. It's so stupid. 
He doesn't, by the way, find that glory. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was a bad plan, Auto Man. But we do get a classic scene where he uh, plays golf and he's able to like make the golf ball do things that are physically impossible. Yeah. Once again, those are your favorite parts. I'm, I know. It's just so dumb. It's just so dumb because, again, it's the same thing as the tennis uh, episode. The whole point was that he has made him perfect, so he's just good at everything. He'd just be perfect at golf, but they have to have him do the stupid ball bouncing degree, around thing. 90 degree yeah. putt. <laughs> and for no reason. It doesn't add anything to this episode. No, it's just it, because the episode started with, with Auto Man practicing learning to play golf, so they had to see him golf later in the episode. Yeah, so someone could be like, you're amazing at golf. You're like, does it have anything to the episode? Nope. Uh, Wally, meanwhile, though, he he goes off and he uh, bumps into this British local cop who's investigating the diamond smuggling thing. And it's very funny because they bump into each other and they, and the British cop's like, I know you're a cop. Are you here investigating the same dr- uh, uh, diamond smuggling ring I am? And Wally doesn't know anything about it. So this cop just tells him everything he knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just like, this is a real risk this cop is taking, just telling this stranger at a resort everything. You know what, though? Once a cop shows you his badge, you're all together. You can, because as we've learned, cops can do anything they want. But they get this new information, basically, the, the, three, the three of them from L.A., and they're like, okay, we now know what's going on. She was doing something, ran into this diamond smuggling operation, so we know this is a front for diamond smuggling. So we should come up with a new plan. And our plan is, let's pretend we found the diamonds and like throw a lot of money around so that the bad guys think that we found the diamonds and then maybe they'll do something that will help us yeah so the plan is we'll pretend we have the diamonds and they will know we have the diamonds because as everyone knows if you have diamonds you immediately now have a surplus of liquid money and you just can have cash you just start blowing money like crazy. That's everyone who has a diamond. They just start spending money like crazy. And and you see that in a scene where they have like Wally announced to everyone at the club, uh, the resort, that dinner's on them. And that's my point for the beginning when we were talking about it. It's the worst thing to give someone because the dinner's already free. You know? <laughs> that's not that's not generous. Well, those two staff women come by and uh, Otto has uh, Otto has Cursor make him two fake diamonds that he gives to each of them. Yeah, which will just just fade away eventually so he didn't give them anything but yes it's it's a very funny plan because it's it's very similar to the bad guys plan at the start which was let's just see if they find the diamonds and now they're just turning that plan on their head we're like let's just pretend we found the diamonds and then see what happens it's true isn't it it's a lot of people saying like let's just see let's see let's do this and see what happens let's let the plot take care of itself like they have no plan for what will happen when they do this they're just like maybe something good will happen we don't have a plan so Mm mm-hmm and of course, what happens is they're they're celebrating. They're pretending to be big big rollers. Wally's on the dance floor, dancing like a madman. Oh, and I should mention one thing: the money they're spreading around. There's a quick scene where they go to a vending machine or a bank machine, an ATM, an ATM, and and for some reason, as we've seen, it has a personality and a voice. And Automan's like, "Can I have money?" And she's like, "Of course you can, Automan." And she gives out a bunch of money. So they they're using actual money, which we've seen in this show before they'll just digitally project money when needed but in this they're actually stealing money to use it well roxanne's very worried that uh otto's stealing money so he's very careful to phrase it as a loan but i'm Mm -hmm. like he can't pay it back so yeah they're criminals anyway wally and (laughs) auto man are criminals every episode they are criminals that is true at any rate they're doing this they're having this big party in this restaurant to show how rich they are because they fake found the diamonds and Roxanne notices this Crandall guy gets up and leaves the restaurant. 
And Roxanne's like, okay, I'm not going to tell either of my partners who I'm here investigating this crime with, who I'm sitting at the same table with. I'm going to also get up and follow him and see where he goes. Mm-hmm. So she's immediately kidnapped and yeah. out of the show. And for the rest of the episode, Ottoman and Wally would be like, haven't seen Roxanne in a while, eh? Nope. Sure, she's around here somewhere. Yeah. And later on, they say she's been missing since yesterday. And they never are worried. They're never, they're like, occasionally someone's just like, I'll go look around, see if she's by the pool or something. But they never have any urgency. Well, that's an interesting point, though, about the the lack of urgency. Because this show, for whatever reason or for a myriad of reasons, cannot create tension at all. Never at any point as a viewer. And I know maybe that's slightly unfair because of the, uh, you know, what kind of show this is. But you're never worried about Roxanne. You're never worried about Wally. You're never worried about Ottoman. They never go down a wrong path or something never works. So you as a viewer just like, there's nothing to hang on. You're just like, yeah, I guess it's gonna all going to work out because it always works out. And there's never any complications that don't work out for them. No, I mean, Ottoman's not a show where things go wrong. Like never. They, they never have a, an assumption that's wrong. Joan, but what is important is now that Roxanne has been kidnapped and is ostensibly out of the rest of the episode, they've had to do that for one specific reason, so that a teletype can be sent to L.A. by that British cop to complain that Wally's messing up his investigation so that Captain Boyd can send Lieutenant Curtis to the island so that Lieutenant Curtis can rejoin the episode. But again, it doesn't add anything. No, they just had, like, they just had to take Roxanne out so that Lieutenant Curtis could have some lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is this? Are we coming up to the seed where where Wally now goes back to the room? Yeah, absolutely. He, after parting it up, he can't. He goes up there because uh, Auto Man's had to res out because he's low on power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's just they need him out of the episode. So basically, Wally goes back to the room and he gets attacked. Does pretty well in his fight, as we learn he's a pretty good fighter these days. But then a second guy joins and they sort of overpower him. And then we cut to Wally waking up on the like in a sand trap on the golf he's on course. the beach yeah i think yeah and uh and what i like is he's clearly knocked out he clearly is waking up you know he's been unconscious for who knows how long and there's quite clearly a gun planted in his hand because there's a dead guy beside him and this inspector british inspector shows up and is like well you clearly killed this guy i was like no he didn't it what it clearly is is that it's been planted because what he killed the guy and then went down for a nap it is it is very funny it is very very clearly being framed for killing the frenchman and i i'll give it this it's, it seems like the british cop is arresting for murder and then halfway through the arrest he's just like listen i just don't want you to interfere with my case so i'm putting you in this jail cell for the rest of this time yeah that's true but while i gets locked away and Automan has to like appear in his cell and he's uh, Automan appears and he's just like because as we last last we saw him he was rezzing out jordan mm-hmm. uh but he te- he informs well he, he found a very quote stimulating generator and now he's back they always sort of imply a little bit that um, Auto Man has had sex with a generator. And, of course, they just merge together to walk out of the prison. And, like, they do that thing that we've seen in other shows. I think it was even in um, Galactica 1980 when they turn invisible and escape a prison. But, like, they have, like, an old drunk in the cell with him to, like, do something. But they don't even use that character. Like, he barely reacts to Auto Man appearing, Wally and them merging, and then just walking out. The man just kind of lays in that bed being like, huh, Okay. Which, again, we've said this thing they do is makes perfect sense that Automan can get Wally out at any time. The problem is this could solve so many issues this show has and so many situations that they get put in. It could just be Wally enters Automan and they walk out of the scenario. That's it. That's, that's the way to get out of everything. But they only use it when they really, really have to. 
but they really have to now. They get out of this prison. They get in the auto car, having another car chase because it's 20 minutes in the episode, so it's car chase time. Mm-hmm. The like, police chase them and they get away. They, they pull up to the resort. They come back to Club 10. Auto Man gets out and a, a, a valet sees him dissolve the auto car and that valet becomes a, a babbling madman at the side yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. They, they send him. Uh, he goes insane. Yeah, we don't see him again, but he is he is committed after that. <laughs> <laughs> they go back up to the hotel room and uh, discover that Lieutenant Curtis has arrived. So now they have they're back up to three. They're back up to a full strength, mm-hmm. three people. And uh, they're like, "What are we gonna do? We still don't have any notes." And has anyone seen Roxanne? No, it doesn't matter. I'm sure she's running somewhere. Otto and Wally go look for the diamonds while Jack goes for Roxanne. Yeah, they do a little bit of that, and they can't find anything. And they end up back at the hotel room again because they're like, "We still don't have clues." And Wally's like, I'll leave a note for Roxanne so when she comes back to the room, she knows we've left to go look for more clues. And he picks up a random scrap of paper and he's just like, oh, wait, this was the sheet of paper that was in Laura's typewriter. But I'm looking at the last sentence she wrote, and it's not the same characters that are on the print or on the on the sorry typewriter ribbon ink that I looked at also because the typewriter ribbon ink has three asterisks and that's not on the sheet of paper, which must mean this tele- this typewriter ribbon ink is the clue that I have to solve as a computer expert. Yeah. So what they, it makes, it's just so many leaps of logic you have to make to get there. Th- what they are showing you now is that Laura knew she was going to get kidnapped. So she, not only called Roxanne and left the message, she also typed a secret message so that it could make an imprint on the typewriter tape and then replace that with another piece of paper, knowing that someone would come find her and would have the investigative wherewithal to check the tape and put this together. She could not have come up with a more subtle clue for someone to have found. Like, unless Batman shows up, no one would have would have caught this. This is truly the opposite of foolproof. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I wanted you to solve my murder. Didn't you notice that uh, uh, the concentration of oxygen in the soil on the bottom of my shoe showed that I was at that other location? It's like, what? I also like that we don't ever see, like, while I take that piece of paper out of a typewriter or see him engage with a typewriter at all, he just suddenly announces, he's like, I took that out of a typewriter earlier. And also, I took out the ribbon earlier. And I looked at them both when I when none of you were looking. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a way really so Auto Man can show his powers and he can read the message, which is weird because at the exact time that Auto Man's figuring out, Wally's also typing it into the computer. I was like, what? Yeah, that's what was funny too. Wally's like having a computer decode the message, and then Auto and as he as he decodes the message saying the diamonds are in the fish tank, Auto Man announces he's like, oh, don't worry, I can read IBM. I don't know why you spent all that time typing into a computer i could have just told you that's what it said yeah and then they have i think i can't remember what the message says but it tells them something that it says it says the diamonds are in the fish tank oh that's right the diamonds are in the fish tank yeah because at the exact same time the the staff the entire staff of this hotel have gathered around this laura character and are threatened to kill roxanne unless she finally reveals where she had the diamonds and she also says oh they're in the fish tank in the other room that's right yeah, after all this time, they finally are just like, can you tell us? We've asked you 300 times. I'm going to ask you one more time. She's like, yeah, it's in the fish tank. So basically now everyone knows where the diamonds are. So what we get is a scene where Wally and Otto walk into the restaurant. One of The Jerry character, one of the bad guys, is scooping diamonds out of the fish tank. Wally pulls his gun and says, you're under arrest. Oh, this is so bad. And then 
another door to the restaurant opens and Crandall walks in, <laughs> the other bad guy, and he has his gun. He's like, no, now you're all in trouble. I have a gun on you. And then another door to the restaurant opens and Lieutenant Curtis walks in and says, I can't find Roxanne, but now you're under arrest because I've got a gun on you. And they all just give up. That's it. Yeah, it's the most anticlimactic like, right. ending we've ever had. You've got me. Uh, <laughs> it made me laugh so, so much. Uh, and at any rate, they're like, <laughs> now that they've caught them, they're like, well, what happened to Laura and Roxanne? And the bad guys are like, oh, yeah, we put them in a car with another goon. He's going to go throw them off a cliff right now. And actually, I don't even know if he says that. I actually think what might really happen is I think Lieutenant Curtis says, I've got the bad guys. Wally and Otto, why don't you go see if Roxanne's by the pool? And they walk out of the room and a car drives by and Otto's like, oh, I happen to have my x-ray vision on it. I think I saw the girls in the car. But oh, let me mention one thing before. We know that they're going to the cliffs because uh, the bad guy tells his like henchman, he's like, hey, put these two ladies in the car and take them to the east end of the, the island. And the one goon guy goes, all that's over there is those uh, very steep cliffs. And the guy goes like, yeah, exactly. It's just like, <laughs> he has to like spell it out for the guy. The, the guy's only job is to like take care of people and kill them, but he still needs the instructions. Because if you didn't tell him, he'd just have taken them to Dairy Queen or something. Yeah, sat on the cliffside, hate some ice cream. Yeah. At any rate, because Otto happens to x-ray vision this one random car that happens to drive by him, it's time for another auto car chase, which just like last episode, halfway through the auto car chase, he turns into the autocopter. And then like another episode we've seen, as they're flying along with the car, he's just like, I guess we got to stop him somehow. Uh, cursor, make a giant tree in the middle of the road. Yeah. And so that makes them crash horribly, uh, but everyone's okay. Yeah. Uh, they land. Automan beats up the goon. Everybody's saved. And then I, this is, I think, the first time this has ever happened, but... Automan is standing in front of everybody. Like Laura's there, or like mm-hmm. the woman they just saved. Laura's there. Roxanne, and Automan's just like, "Well, my job here is done." And he just vanish. He just vaporizes into thin air in front of this Laura woman, and no one comments on it. I think you, as a viewer, are supposed to know that he's like out of sight or something. But you're right; it is right in front of them. Also, never in any of these cases has he ever been like, "My job's done," and he just disappears. <laughs> I know he could just like walk off, but whatever. He's he's Automan. He does what he wants. He's off to kill more mobsters as that mad He's dog off to character. kill more mobsters. <laughs> they cut to that sort of end of the episode button. And this is the first time I think, maybe not the first time, but one of the few times they don't go back to LA and give the button to Captain Boyd. But what they do is they, they cut back. They're all standing over that fish tank full of diamonds. And um, Lieutenant Curtis wraps up the final loose end by saying, the, uh, the British police here have said they'll drop all charges against Wally just as long as Wally leaves the island tomorrow. That's the, basically it. And, of course, that timeline spooks Wally because he's like, oh, I got to be out of here then. So he, like, shoves his hand into the fish tank to start grabbing diamonds out of it, which leave that to the local cops, Wally. That's not your job. But he's so freaked out he needs to get off this island. And then Lieutenant Curtis pranks him by saying, I can't believe you're putting your hands into a fish tank full of piranhas. Yeah. And then we get the last line of the series, which is Desi Arnaz Jr. And we could both try to deliver the line like he does. But he goes, piranha? That's the last line of the show. He's so he's, he got pranked. He got pranked so good. Yeah, but yes, that is that is how the Auto Man ends forever. <laughs> That's the series. All thirteen episodes. We watched them all, Luke. It's crazy. <laughs> I. You want to get into the ratings first, so then we can talk about the series. Yeah, let's do it. Let's rate these episodes. All right. So there's the first episode, Death by Design, the uh, fashion, the Fashion House episode. Yeah, I hated this episode. It's my least favorite episode. Uh, it makes so, no sense. Seven. <laughs> Hey, no, uh, I give it a 2.5 out of 10. 
2.5. Yeah, I hated it. I also hated it. I'm giving it a one. Yeah, I think I'm being generous with a two and a half. It's a terrible, terrible episode of TV by any measurable standard. And then uh, Club 10, where they go to a resort. Marginally better, uh, because it had all those uh, sexy shots of ladies, I'm going to give it a 3 out of 10. (laughs) I will say that uh, watching these two back-to-back did them no favors. The car chases that mean nothing fall in the exact same places. Yeah. The gratuitous bikini shots are all where they were in the last episode. These are identical episodes other than just like some name swaps. A one. I'm telling you, if there's a way to wilt at the end, that's this show. It just, these are so bad. And I'm not even sure if it's that these episodes are bad or if it's just like, I finally like... Accumulation of just awfulness? Yeah, the the poison has built in my brain and I've been killed. I do feel that way too. And I know we kind of joke that I've been, you know, saving this, this show with some maybe higher ratings than it's deserved. But there was sort of like a fun sense to it that just, it just has beat me down over 13 episodes because... The show is just so bad and so boring, which is the worst part, right? Like, it's difficult to feel anything for these characters because the show is just such straight-up nonsense, and there's nothing tangible to grab onto, and it's not even fun nonsense. It's just convoluted insanity that adds up to very little. Well, I'll tell you how I feel about this uh, show, Jordan, is I think the problem with this show is if you have seen one episode of Automan, you have literally seen all of the episodes of Automan. Yeah. The plot's don't change in any significant form it is just plug and play it's just like same crime same bad guys same concepts it's just what business will he go to this time what will he impersonate this time and even but they follow the exact same beats it truly i feel like this is maybe why it stays in people's minds like if you watched an episode of Automan 25 years ago and i just put on any random episode of Automan right now you'd be like pretty sure that was the episode you saw you're probably right. You know, and there's something weird about it that I sort of started thinking is that neither Wally or Auto Man, as the main characters, they never propel the story, ever. They just react to weird situations that are set up, but they very seldom do they even, do their actions change anything. They're always just reacting to these complicated and nonsensical plots that make for a very frustrating viewing experience. Well, Jordan, should we find out the final rating for the uh, series? Yes, please. Here is the final uh, series average for Automan, uh, according to Continuum Drag. 4.2. 4.43. 4.43. That's high. Yeah. And whose fault is that? It's my fault. <laughs> it's my fault. I know it's my fault. <laughs> What would you well, know? Jordan, let's say after after thirteen episodes, if if you just out of ten, what would you give this show out of out of ten for thirteen episodes as a whole? I think I would give it. I'd be generous and give it a three because I truly do think in a some wacky alternate world there probably is a decent buddy comedy with Chuck Wagner and Desi Arnaz Jr. somewhere out in this world because I think mm-hmm. the, both of them are doing a f- okay job. Like I actually think they're both very watchable, and the effects are. Cr- kind of cool the first couple times you see them but like they're just there's nothing to hold on to beyond that i'd say it's about a three three and a half out of ten so i mean it's not too far off what our overall rating is and i know i kind of skewed them a little bit but well here's the big question jordan do you recommend people watch this absolutely not no i i I also can't i I, it is as you said you could i'd say watch one episode you're right because if you watch one episode that's the show and it's once you start you after watch an episode and after you kind of laugh about you know the kind of somewhat cheesy effects or the recurring gags or all these sort of things once you get through that once it gets tired 
and there's just nothing else. There's no real idea of fun. So it's just a lot of nothing. It's just super forgettable. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's, there's nothing here. It's an empty void. <laughs> it is an empty void. And it does feel, I think you, you mentioned in this episode, that it feels like it was kind of written on a napkin. And that is how it feels. It feels like the writers didn't really, didn't really give much of an effort. This is what happened, Jordan. We entered Autobahn's realm and discovered it was a void. <laughs> That's true. All right. Well, that wraps it up for Autobahn. I don't think there's much left to be said. No, we, we've given more time and more thought to this show than anybody ever has. <laughs> well, if you have any final thoughts, I don't know how we're going to get them on the show, but you can always email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And of course, on Instagram and Twitter, we'll have some clips from these final two episodes. Uh, the handle there is at continuumdrag. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's about wraps it up. So next week we'll be back with something brand new. Thank God. Yeah, no, that's man. This feels like it's been an like we've just been watching this for ages. It does feel like I've done an entire uh, another year of this podcast in the course <laughs> of doing these episodes. Um, so that that's something to look forward to next week, Jordan. Uh, yeah. Until then, listener, thank you for joining us. And Jordan, I will see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.